Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, media day happened over the weekend at Penn State. First chance to see the team and talk to the team. Uh, and really the best chance to talk to the team all season. You know, once games get underway, they limit who you can talk to, when you can talk to them. And, man, it's there is a lot of excitement and happy valley for this season, both from coaches and from players. Yeah, the buzz is real. Um, this is probably the most anticipated season since probably 2017. Um, but I feel like this team just has so much more promise, so much more depth, coaching continuity across the board for uh, Marcus Hagens and Dion Barnes as the new coaching additions. But you got a lot of experience in this program, a lot of coaching experience in this program. And man, the buzz, the buzz is real. Yeah, and I and the biggest thing for me that adds to that reality and to that realness is the fact that they have depth throughout the roster. They are one, two, three deep at every single position, it seems now. And that's something that they really haven't had under James Franklin. No, they really haven't. And James even mentioned it. He said, I don't want to call the depth necessarily better at safety, but the depth at safety this year is even better. And we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Like, I think I said it, it was like, yeah, like they're, they have to replace Jair Brown, but I mean, they've got guys who may even go in the draft higher than Jair Brown in Zaki Wheatley, maybe Makai flowers. Those are the kind of guys that are replacing Jair Brown. So maybe they won't have the splash factor. I think James mentioned, you know, Jair Brown's 16 turnovers in the last two years, but man, you got five guys at safety. You've got four or five guys at cornerback. They're talking about five to six DNs. I mean, you're talking about a defense that's going to be arguably a top two, maybe three in the country. And when you play in the Big Ten, defensive depth is going to win you games, and they got a lot of it. So pretty exciting. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing, too. They're defensive or Offensively, they have some depth as well. I mean, we all know the running back situation, and – that has always been a strong suit with James Franklin and under J1 Sider. So that matters. Now, obviously, receivers, you got to kind of figure out a lot more of the depth, uh, the one, twos, and threes, or whatever. But again, there's quality there, too. You've got it up front, you've got it at tight end, and you've got it at quarterback. You know, all the talk has been about Drew, Drew Aller and Boper Bulla, but Jackson Smollett is making some waves as well. Now, obviously, he's the third string guy. But when you have a third-string quarterback that's significantly better than than most, that's a really, very good situation to be in. So this depth is what's going to help them get through the dark days of the Big Ten Conference schedule and get help get them past a Michigan and get them past teams like Ohio State and get them prepared for what possibly could be a college football playoff berth this year. Yeah, anytime that your third-string quarterback is getting mentioned by name, in a media day press conference, um, you know, you know, the depth is there, you know, he's impressing, uh, really not a guy highly touted out of, out of high school. I think he was only a three-star I say only, but, um, yeah, I mean, to be mentioned by name, but we're going to talk later about Michigan and the depth where they're going to need it is offensive line and defensive line. Um, and James seems really high on it. He did mention specifically like, in the past, 
you know, you put the ones out there versus the ones, the twos versus the twos and the threes versus threes. And when the threes go out there, you know, it used to be some kind, some kind of uh, organized chaos. And he said, it'd leave a bad taste in your mouth. He says, you know, that's, that's not really happening now. It's, they put the threes out there and be like, man, this team is in, this team is in a rough spot. But he said, you know, they're, they're not really, it's not leaving that bad taste in the mouth. Sure. It's a lot of young guys. It's a lot of freshmen. I mean, we, Penn State brought in, they brought in two five-star offensive linemen last year who are going to be third stringers. And that's the kind of talent you have in your three depth now. It's not, it's not a bunch of walk-ons. It's not a bunch of Juco transfers. It's, it's legit players who are going to be leading this team in a year or two from now. So I I think this, this coach, this coaching staff is really, I think they're trying to hold their cards close to the chest, but you can tell how excited they are for this. Yeah. And deservedly so. I mean, it's just one of those situations where now they have that depth. It's maximizing that depth and really hoping that you don't have to use that depth, but it's going to help in practice when your ones are going up against solid twos or solid threes, that's going to make your offense better. That's going to make your defense better. It's just going to make everybody around them better because at Penn state, their focus is on competition. They want competition at every position, but they also want that competition on both sides of the football. And I think that's huge when it comes to beating teams like Michigan, which we're going to get to here after this quick break on the Lashing Out podcast on the Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of Lashing Out podcast on the Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, Michigan provides a very big test at Beaver Stadium. That is the beauty of this game. It is at Beaver Stadium. It's going to be a raucous environment. And that gives Penn State a leg up over the Wolverines. Yes, big, big noon kickoff. So it's going to take 12 and a half hours to play a three-hour football game. But it is 11-11. And Penn State's going to need to go 1-0 this weekend, that weekend. Um it is Happy Valley. It will be the stripe out. Uh, this this is the. I don't want to speak in hyperboles, but this is the game that will decide the season. No matter what happens against Ohio State, it's going to come down to this game because the only game after this is what Rutgers and Michigan State. That those are games that you think that they can pro- that we think that they can probably win. The last question mark on the schedule is Michigan. If if they can get yeah. past Michigan, we're starting to look look really towards the postseason. Yeah, and it's the thing, you know, regardless of what happens with Ohio State, you know, you lose closely there at the horseshoe in the Scarlet Out or whatever you want to call it. That's, you know, I think that's a wash, right? You beat Ohio State, that's incredible. You beat them on the road, that's a big-time win. I would imagine, barring any unforeseen circumstances, they're going to be in the top top five in the country. So that's a top five win that James Franklin doesn't typically have on his resume. So that, I think, is huge. Um, but also, you know, you that that game ultimately doesn't really – it does matter, but it doesn't as far as the postseason goes because there's so much that can happen. Obviously, you lose control of your destiny, but you regain a little bit of that control depending on how things have gone for Ohio State and Michigan if you beat Michigan. And if that is the case, then obviously you're in a much better situation moving forward. So when you beat Michigan at, at Beaver Stadium – that is going to be huge. But if you lose that game, well, then things become a little bit more different. Then you're talking a little bit less 
or of a bull. But in the same token, that could only, that might only be the second win or second loss, I should say. So there's so much that can happen, so much that rides on this Michigan game because it's the difference between the ten and two season, or eleven and one, or nine and three, or whatever. And I think that's why this game matters probably more than Ohio State does in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and it's the fact that it's so late in the season. Like we're really gonna know what what it is. The only big question mark I think coming up after that would be a Michigan Ohio State game. Um, but Manny Diaz said they don't care about any stats. They want to lead the nation in wins this year. If you're going to lead the nation in wins this year, you're going to need to go 12 and 0. That means you are going to need to win this game. Couple things though. Uh the the offensive line is going to need to do better again for for the run and the defensive line is going to need to do better stopping the run. Last year, averaged 2.3 yards per carry if they if you exclude Sean Clifford's 62-yard scamper that he had. And then they gave up 418 yards on the ground last year. So this is going to be a game one in the trenches. Can Penn State run the ball? Can they stop Michigan running the ball? Gus Edwards, or excuse me, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards will be back in the backfield. They still have J.J. McCarthy, who, hot take, I think he's just a, a Sean Clifford that actually wins games. I, I I don't think he's all that impressive. I think, you know, watch the, the game last year. He had some throws that were uh, wildly underthrown that Michigan receivers somehow came down with, that went for really long touchdowns. Uh, we could we could talk we could talk about that probably later uh, when we do the actual preview for this game. But they lost Ronnie Bell to the 49ers. They lost uh, guy to your team, Luke Luke Schoonmaker to the Cowboys. So number one wide receiver, number one tight end are gone for this Michigan offense. They're going to be leaning heavy on Blake Corum, obviously Donovan Edwards as well. And then they, they still return Will Johnson in the backfield for the defense. He's the number three rated cornerback per PFF behind Kalen King and uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry So at Alabama. So star-studded game. There's going to be stars all over the field for both sides of the ball. And I, I the deciding factor, I think, will how well does the offense and the defensive line perform? Yeah, and that, the game, this game is going to be one in the trenches. I think these are probably the most – these are probably the most prolific running games – in all of college football with Michigan and Penn State facing off, it's going to come down to a battle between the trenches. If they want to win this game, Penn State's got to limit that type of the damage that Corum and Edwards can have. And if they're able to limit that and really keep them at bay and force Michigan's quarterback to win the game with his arm, I think they are in a great position to win the game. And if they're able to do that, you know, I think that's a really, really good spot to be in. Now, moving forward, you know, with the Penn State offense, I think it, it's important to, that they're able to move the football, keep the defense off the field. The last thing that you want to do is have some quick three and outs. If you're able to maintain possession, work on maintaining everything um, else, I think they're, they can be in a really, really good position to win this football game. It's Again, it's a noon game. There's going to be, you know, it's going to take forever. It's a big noon kick, which they are by far the worst. Uh, in my opinion, uh, for games both to cover and to watch. Uh, there just ends up being seemingly no flow, which is frustrating. Um, and that's frustrating. But at the same time, Michigan's got to come to Penn State for that early kick. They get it out of the way early. It'll be interesting to see how quick they can get off the bus. Yeah, and the off- you mentioned it. The offense is going to need to keep the defense off the field. The offense is going to need to sustain drives. The offense last year only scored 10, 10 points. 
the Curtis Jacobs had an interception return for a touchdown last year. So offense was only responsible for 10 points last year. A lot of three and outs. The defense, I mean, they were just they were just gassed. They were gassed early. And if you're gassed against a team that's just going to run the ball, uh, it's that's a long day anyways. And then when you're when your offense isn't doing anything, it can't sustain and drive more than a couple of minutes. It's it's not going to be good. So it will be interesting as this. I feel like this is the latest Penn State has played Michigan in the season for a really long time. Usually it's like the second or third conference game. Um, this is now the, the third to last conference game. So kind of a different dynamic of where it is in the season. Cause I mean, Penn state usually gets rolling after three or four games. And usually that's when they're going to Michigan or Michigan's coming to town. So maybe it's an advantage for Penn state to have them this late in the season. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it depends a lot on where these teams are at in this moment. There's so much that could happen, so much that's at stake. Injuries, wins, losses. Obviously, can they can they overcome a steamroll where anything can happen, where Penn State loses and then they lose another game or, or what what have you. There's just so much. But, yeah, you're right. It, and this is a later game. But at the same time, I think Penn State has Michigan right where they want them for this, for this matchup, and I think that plays into the Nittany Lions' hands really well. I have them winning this game. Uh, but I, I do think it's going to be a, an instant classic type game. I, I think I'm opposite of you. I think they go into Columbus this year and win. Um, I think I think Ohio State's 0-2 against Penn State and Michigan this year. I think Penn State ultimately loses this game and ends up probably in that five spot in the national rankings, just on the outside looking in of the college football playoff. Well, there we have it. There's the hot take of the week. But speaking of hot takes, we're going to talk about some more realignment when we get back from this final break for the third uh, and final segment of the Watching Up podcast on the Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Watching Up podcast and the Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, since we last spoke, the conferences have realigned once again. And more more so, the Pac-12 is essentially in the Pac-4 right now. And it is a complete and utter disaster. So, with that said, now you've got Oregon and Washington joining the fold. They now join UCLA and USC uh, in the Big Ten, which is now 18 members. Uh, and next year's schedule I'm sure is going to go straight out the window. Yeah, it's it's we talked about it last week who was going to jump first, Arizona, Arizona State and surprisingly Utah jumped to the Big 12. I thought Utah would probably be a good candidate to come over to the Big 10 um just with the the way they kind of play, but um big news for the Big 10, but it's big news for college football. We're going to turn our attention now to the ACC. It feels like the SEC isn't going to do anything. They're happy with where they are. I mean, they got two blue chip programs in Oklahoma and Texas. They're staying pretty regional. Um, I, I think the SEC is probably pretty happy to where they are. We're going to look to a, to the ACC now. Uh, the ACC board of directors met this week or met this evening um, to talk about Cal and Stanford coming to the ACC, which nothing says Atlantic coast, like to uh, San Francisco area schools. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So I believe at this time, ACC is not 
adding them, but they're not saying no either. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with the ACC because their TV deal is, is pretty binding. Yeah. And that's the big issue. I mean, Florida state has mentioned leaving Clemson, I think is, is on the fence as well. Um, the only place for them really to go uh, for those two schools, I would imagine is the, is the big 10. And I, I wouldn't mind that at all. I think that would be great for the conference. I think the big 10 would be better at 20 teams rather than 18. I think that just makes things a little bit easier. Um, but if you add that Florida and that Southeast market, I think that's huge. I mean, obviously you've got teams in the East coast, the West, the Midwest, and then the West coast. But if you can add that Southeast market, I think that's, that's huge. And obviously Clemson would have an easier time, you know, competing in the big 10 um, over probably the SEC where you're going against Oklahoma, you're going against Texas, you're going against teams like that. Every, Georgia, Alabama. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the thing. It's a little bit easier. In the, and I don't want to say it's easier in the big 10, but I think their, their ability to be competitive maintains that. But obviously if they stay in the ACC, they are still going to be the cream of the crop. So it's, but at the same time now, money talks. Yeah, and um, I, I wouldn't expect any ACC team to leave the bit to leave the ACC anytime soon. I looked up their TV deal this year. Um, each member of the or this week, each member of the ACC had to sign a grant of rights agreement with the ACC. So if any team leaves, they have to get the ACC to sign a release on that grant of rights. If not, yeah, it could be that Florida State's in the Big Ten but the game's on ACC network or something like that. So also the teams have to pay, I think a combined, uh, they have to pay three times the annual revenue, which looks to be about $120 million to leave. Uh, so, I mean, what team's coming up with 120 million and getting the ACC to sign it. It sounds like the ACC would take this thing to court and be like, all right, you want to leave, uh, pay like $50 million in lawyers and try to try to beat us in court. And, uh, 50 million for legal fees and then 120 million to get out. It, it just doesn't seem feasible. And then we talked about Notre Dame last year. Notre Dame is a partial, unofficially a partial member of the ACC. They're required to play five year, five games a year against the ACC. And they would also have to sign the grants of rights agreement um, to get out of, to get out of the ACC deal. So it, it sounds like Florida state and Notre Dame are, are out unless something dramatically changes on the TV front. Yeah, it'll be really interesting um, that like, how that happens because that there's just so much money involved. Plus, they had to pay an exit fee that I think is upwards of 120 million. Yeah. So there's just so much that can happen, and if this is far from over, because now there are four teams in the Pac-12 or the Pac-4, or however you want to say it, that are looking for a home. So it's going to say it's going to be a, a crazy situation either way. But again, that's the nature of college football. In college athletics, it'll be really interesting to see how things, you know, kind of parlay and, and just filter out because we are just getting into training camp and this is this is all happening. There's still so much more that's going to happen between now and the start of the season. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see if this actually goes through in 2024. There's enough time between now and then for college football to break away from the NCAA or for college football to be excluded from traditional conferences. All the traditional conferences stay regional. The Pac-12 stays the Pac-12. You're not sending the Stanford water polo team to South Florida to play Miami every weekend. 
Like that's just not feasible. These guys, if if it's not football, if it's not basketball, or excuse me, if it's not men's basketball, they're they're flying, they're flying commercial. You know, you're not it's not gonna be sustainable for these baseball teams, soccer teams, field hockey teams, lacrosse. It's it's just not it's not gonna be feasible uh financially. So I'm not wondering if by the time we get to August 2024, if football is excluded from traditional academic conference or uh, from traditional athletic conferences and the TV deals for football are completely separate from the rest of the conference. ESPN's still going to want to put the, the baseball world series, the softball world series on their platforms. And they really don't care about the conferences at that time, but college football money has gotten so big, so stupid that we're sending baseball teams from state college, Pennsylvania to LA back-to-back weekends like it's just not going to be feasible and i think there is enough time where or maybe they play one year and then all these athletic programs go to the ncaa look it's either i cut four athletic programs or we break football off and we go back to our regional conferences so maybe there's a big meeting of the minds every commissioner of the pac-12 big 10 big 12 sec acc maybe they all get together and say look every other sport will stay regional football will do whatever hell we want because i mean they're chartering flights everywhere the the big truck, the tractor trailer is going to leave state college on, on Sunday morning, if it has to, to get to LA on the weekend, or maybe they do actually fly it across. But I mean, just the added expense of even traveling with football. I mean, the amount of equipment you'd have to ship from state college to LA to go play a game on Saturday, if you're at home on or home on the previous Saturday and then shipping it all out to LA the next weekend. So yeah, there's just so much that is still left to be determined. I mean, I don't mind the regional schedule. We talked about that last year or last week, I should say. But yeah, and obviously that money from these re- from these media deals is going to help. But at the same time, like, what what are you truly doing? So it'll be interesting, really, to see how this all plays out because it's going to matter for not just football and basketball, but for the other sports as well, the, the non revenue generating sports, the Olympic sports. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how this all plays out. But for this week, that's all we've got for Kevin Quigley. This has been Jared Pruger on the Flashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. We thank you as always for listening. Mm-hmm.